You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Romans 8, we're in this habit of uh, helping you turn to Scripture yourself and looking at it in your own either books or electronic format. So I'll give you another second to turn to Romans 8. 28 through 30, we're going to read these verses, and these verses have something, quite a lot, to do with predestination and free will, which is our topic all this month, and we'll talk about that here today. So Romans 8.28 starts off with this, this pretty famous verse that many of you could probably quote from memory, because it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. So God works for the good of those, for those who love him. Verse 28 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Everybody say predestined. So God foreknew them and he predestined them to be conformed in the image of his son. That's us. That's believers. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. A very powerful verse in scripture, a couple verses actually. So let's pray. Jesus, we come before you as your servants, as people who have been foreknown and justified and called and predestined to you and your kingdom. God, let us glorify you. Let us make great choices with our life as we have been given free will. And this idea of predestination and free will, as we study it and think about it this morning, God, I pray you will open our hearts and minds to you and your understanding. We worship you and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are in this topic of free will and predestination. I want to tell you just a quick story about this week. This week's been pretty normal, a pretty average week for me as far as the mill work and mill world goes. And throughout the week, often many weeks, I get to meet with guys, young men who are uh, one of the pastors of the mill. That's the college and 20-something ministry, the ministry that obviously hosts the mill Sunday school. Um, and so this week I met with a couple, uh, three different guys. I wrote a, le- a, guy t- a letter to a guy who's in prison who wrote me. And I met with two guys this week in my office. Um, and in all three of those meetings, I met with a few other people too. But those three meetings and the letter that I wrote, there's like overarching principle of like free will and predestination for their lives. So I think the quintessential question that many of you, many of us in our uh, 20s, I'm not in my 20s anymore, but when I was, I was asking this question. God, what do you have for me? Where am I going? Do you have something predestined for me? Um, What about the choices that I'm making now? Are they going to lead me somewhere? What am I supposed to do with my life? And I think that's a pretty good question. Is anyone asking themselves that question? Like right now? Literally, as I'm talking about, you're like, yeah, what, what, where's my life going? What, what does God have planned for me? What choices will I get to make in the future? And I think that is the quintessential question. And so this week, as I, as I talked, uh, wrote the letter and talked to those two guys, there was just this theme of like what we're talking about here in the Mill Sunday School, this, this discussion between free will and predestination, is, has a lot to do with salvation, but it also has a lot to do with just everyday life and decisions we make and, and where we're going. The metaphor that is often used for this is, of course, a path. And I, I put this path as the cover today of our notes. And then on the back, a sweet quote by Robert Frost that comes from a poem, The, the Road Not Taken. 
And it says something like this. The first part of it is, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and agents hence, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one last traveled by. And it has made all the difference. Pretty famous metaphor and a poem about life and, and choosing paths. And I wonder oftentimes if we as Christians, we as uh, God's creation, feel like we are making choices and choosing paths less taken. But maybe we arrive somewhere and look back figuratively at the, over the path of life that we've taken and wonder, was God predestining, predestining me to this place all along. And maybe if I chose different paths, I would still end up at this place where God has preordained me. Or maybe God preordained me to choose the path less traveled. And then I chose it. But it was already predestined. Like, how does all this work um, in our life? And there's different ways that we as Christians can go about looking at it. And that's the pretty cool, the pretty fun topic for this morning's discussion. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Anybody new, first time, we welcome you. We don't embarrass you. We don't make you stand up and come introduce yourself and all your pets that you have and most embarrassing moment. Um, If you want to, you can fill out a card on the tables. There's cards that say uh, first-timer card, and you could give us some uh, of your information if you want, and I'll call you if you want. I'll email you if you want. And if you give that card to the people in the back as you leave, you'll get a little gift bag of goodies, um, information about our church, other ways of getting involved, and Pastor Brady Boyd's, our senior pastor's book that he wrote called Sons and Daughters as a little gift. So thanks for coming. The Mill Sunday School is sponsored by The Mill on a Friday night, and we would love it if you came and checked it out if you have not, if you're new. And um, by the way, you don't have to be college or 20-something to come to the Mill Sunday School. There, I know plenty of you that are younger or a little older, and that is perfectly cool with us because we're all nerds in here, right? And that's a good thing, right? Okay, we're like the nerds of new life. And so, a very nerdy topic that we are talking about is predestination and free will, a.k.a. Calvinism and Arminianism, and today, uh, a little bit later, I will talk about the real John Calvin and the real Jacob Arminius, Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about those guys and the history of why we call this debate Calvinism and Arminianism. And last week, we had a panel up here of three really cool people, Annie Tuttle and Aaron Higgins and Jordan Lee were were up here, Um, and uh, here's them posing in a picture with frying pans and knives killing each other because they discussed. They, they, Annie took the Calvinist position, Jordan took an Armenian position, and uh, Aaron Higgins in the middle with a knife. He took the middle position. And we posed this picture for fun just because uh, we often think that Calvinism and Arminianism, we have to have this epic war battle between us as Christians. And that, it should not be that way. And I think last week we had a great discussion um, where each three got a couple minutes to share why they are the different positions. And then we got to, all of you got to write down discussion questions and then turn them in. I think we only answered four of the 30 or so we had. But in hindsight, in looking at those cards, I noticed that, Quite a few of those cards were represented in the four or so questions that they did answer. Um, And there was two other questions that I wanted to get to today. Um, Genius questions. Somebody at a table asked this question. Maybe this was your table. 
And it just said, basically, all three, please define salvation. So the, the, this question wanted each, the Calvinist, the Arminianist, and the middle position to define salvation. And I think to remind us and kind of review that I think all three of them would define salvation the same. They would say something about being under the grace that uh, God has given through Jesus Christ for the redemption of sin. And then there would be discussion and, and differences over, well, how did they get there? And what exactly does that mean uh, for the purposes of pre- being predestined or sovereign, predestination and sovereignty versus um, being ch- being uh, I guess, freely chose salvation. So anyways, they would all define salvation the same, but then maybe how you get to salvation would be seen differently. And both sides would would say, this is an open-handed issue. This is an issue that we amongst Christians could discuss and have differences on. And it doesn't make one person a heretic and the other person not. This is an open-handed issue. I like how Mark Driscoll, anybody Mark Driscoll fans, a couple of you out there, he has a church, Mars Hill Church, and I have a lot of respect for him and his church. And he, their church and himself included, is our like raging Calvinists. They are like, we're Calvinists, we're Reformed, we're five-point Calvinists. And they're proud of that. And they, they, that's the the gene, um, the genetics of their church, that's in their beliefs. They're Calvinists. But I, I saw an interview with him and he said, but if you're an Arminianist and you come to our church, and I was kind of like waiting, like, we are going to kill you. Um, <laughs> he said, keep coming. Like, this is an open-handed issue. This is not an issue to divide ourselves over. This is an issue to discuss within the church. And I like how he put that. Um, I was just, I was really waiting for him to say, die, all Arminius, die. Um, <laughs> but he didn't. He said, this is not an issue to divide ourselves over. This is an open-handed issue. Um, and then another question was this, that one of you at your tables wrote this question. Maybe it was you. Uh, a great question. What arguments do Calvinists and Arminianists have? Uh, with the middle ground. And I think this goes back to maybe reminding ourselves of each of the positions. So to answer this question, let's look at Calvinism as, as a form of review from last week. We said that there's five points of Calvinism, and it's often the acronym TULIP is used, T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, that we are totally depraved. We cannot come to God. He comes to us, and God unconditionally elects us. So this idea of election is another way of putting it as those that are chosen. So God elects or chooses us, and there's something called limited atonement, that, that salvation is extended to the chosen, to the elect, and it's limited to them. Um, irresistible grace, if you are chosen, you can't resist that grace. And finally, P, the perseverance of the saints, if you are chosen and elected, well, there's no getting out of it. You're, you're chosen. You're in God's hands. Um, there's no losing your salvation, as, as a Calvinist would argue. The other side is the Arminian side that says, well, maybe we're not totally depraved. And maybe there's, uh, Jordan made some interesting remarks last week about, um, that, that helped us understand like what that means. Like there's the image of God inside of us that we can know God and it's been maybe put inside of us by him so that we can come to God in some way. And, and he has chosen us, but it's, maybe it's because he knew that we would choose him. It's kind of this interesting like chicken or egg problem. Like what happened first? Did God know that he, you would choose him? Therefore he chose you. Or did God just choose you? Out of his own sovereign, um, unconditional election or sovereign election. That's how the, the, the theologians would use those words. Um, and then unlimited atonement. Christ died for all. Grace is resistible. 
Like, if you are, God is calling you, you could resist that. And then uh, the final point on the Arminian side is you can lose your salvation. And maybe you could reject it would be a better term instead of just, like, losing it. Like, oh, I lost my keys. Where'd they go? And say, well, maybe you don't lose it like that. Maybe it's more of a rejection of salvation after having it. Whereas the Calvinists would say, no, you can't lose your salvation in any means. Um, they would say, once saved, always saved. If you are no longer a Christian, well, then maybe you never were. Um, is how the argument would go. Anyways, going back to the, the question, what arguments do the Calvinists and Arminius have with the middle ground? And there's quite a few. The middle ground is its own viewpoint. And so sometimes people are like, oh, I'm kind of halfway between Calvinism and Arminianism. And like, oh, can't we all just get along and play nice together? And if, yes, of course we can. But there's something to be said about each side in and among itself, that the argument of Calvinism flows within itself. If we are totally depraved, well, then there's no coming to God. God comes to us, and we can't resist him. He's totally, totally sovereign. And the Armenian side fits within the Armenian uh, worldview, the free will worldview, that if we are, can come to God, well, then there's responsibility that we have to come to him, that we could resist him, that we could lose our salvation or reject our salvation after having it, potentially. And so the middle ground isn't just like a a wishy-washy, like, oh, I'll pick some of these points and some of those points, but it's really its own position in and of itself because it has to to really deal with, are we totally depraved or are we not? Is it our responsibility or God's sovereignty? Here's another way to put it. Um, I just said it, but I'll rehash it again. The free will side says that we are responsible as humans. And are there Bible passages saying that we're responsible as humans? Sure, yeah, quite a few. Like, yeah, make good choices uh, with our lives. Proverbs, uh, the, the sayings of Jesus, do, you know, the, the, the act of carrying out our salvation and making good choices. Of course we have responsibility. But then on the other side, there's the sovereignty. And I decided a, a picture of Aslan or this lion statue would represent sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Are there passages in Scripture talking about God's sovereignty, how he's awesome and huge and big? Is there? Yes. <laughs> I guess I was asking rhetorically, but I meant it literally. Um, yes, there's plenty of passages talking about God's sovereignty on this side and, and our responsibility on this side. And so how do we, um, how do we think about that? Um, how, what do we do when we come to uh, not just issues of salvation, but life decisions? Are we predestined? Is God totally sovereign that he has us um, doing something for the world and in our lives to <clears throat> maybe glorify him? Has he chosen us to do that? Or <clears throat> maybe are we responsible for making good decisions and using the gifts that we have? And then the idea of gifts is like, well, if God gave us the gifts, then isn't he sovereign Uh, putting us on a path that that will lead to somewhere where he has chosen. Um, But what about our responsibility? And I, this idea of like being chosen versus finding our way and being responsible is, has always fascinated me. And I think it's one of the greatest like human, like the experience of being a human is all about this. Um, Potentially every day, our everyday life is like, well, were we destined to do this, or is this just an important choice that we have to make? I think so often uh, people that are young, like in their 20s and college age, 20, and even in the 30s and 40s, people are wondering, like, you know, what does the rest of the life have in store for me, like, as far as career path, as far as uh, life 
partner, as far as uh, getting married or not getting married, as far as friends and family, like where these decisions that we're making, we're setting ourselves up for this, this path that we're going to be on. And this, this dilemma between free will and predestination is a beautiful dilemma. If you're any, if anybody's like into book writing and, uh, character development, this is a great thing to think about. Like, have your character think through, like, their destiny versus the decisions they make every day. And I think if you look at literature, anybody like reading? (laughs) Oh, look at all the hands. That's beautiful. Of course, you're the nerds. Of of course you like reading. Um, So anybody like watching movies? (laughs) Let's just just less hands went up. Um, Anyways... um, so the movies, books, the, the, if you are looking for this theme, I think you will find it. Um, I'm going to show uh, uh, some, I'm going to talk about a couple of my favorite movies, my top ten movies. Uh, this movie's a, probably a top ten, Forrest Gump. Anybody like Forrest Gump? It's an old school uh, Tom Hanks movie. And in the movie, uh, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, this kind of underdog character, um, <clears throat> It goes on some pretty epic journeys throughout the movie. And there's this whole debate, I think, in this play out of his life. Is he predestined or is he not? And there's two main voices in the, in the movie. Uh, Mama Gump from Greenbow, Alabama. Uh, she says over and over again, I'm not sure how many times she says it, but enough that we remember, that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. She tells Forrest, you have to make life what it is. Don't ever let anyone call you stupid. Because stupid is as stupid does. You're not destined to be stupid. But if you make a bunch of stupid decisions, then you are stupid. A very Arminian side, if you're thinking about it like this. And bear with me if you're, if you're not a big movie fan or haven't seen Forrest Gump. Then this makes no sense to you whatsoever. Um, <laughs> But Mama Gump says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You have to make life what it is. You have to make good decisions. Don't let anybody call you stupid. Stupid is, stupid does. Don't, be, don't do stupid things or you will be stupid. A very Arminian uh, free will position. And the other character, a very loud character in the movie, uh, both literally and figuratively, is, of course, Lieutenant Dan. Um, and he is a very, if you're thinking about it in this mindset, and bear with me, um, He's very Calvinist, very predestination. He talks about how he was destined to fight in the war in Vietnam. How his father, and his father before him, and his father's father, father, died in wars. And he was predestined to fight in the war and maybe to die. And Forrest stole that destiny from him. But then maybe he realizes later on uh, through life that maybe there was another destiny. But he still talks about this destiny and how there's... Um, um, Forrest, you've got to find your destiny and what um, is, is your destiny for your life. And so if you think about it like that, there's these two characters w- with very loud voices in the movie telling Forrest, it's free will, life is what you make it, or you're destined to do this or to do that. Um, another movie, another one of my top tens probably, is The Matrix. Anybody like The Matrix as well? Um, And of course, this one's themes of predestination and free will are even more blatant in the movie. You can't watch the movie The Matrix without uh, thinking about predestination and free will. Because throughout the movie, Neo is the one. 
or at least Morpheus, thinks he's the one. A very Calvinist approach. In the movie, Nia, uh, Morpheus is looking for the one. And he finds the one. He finds Neo, and he says, you're the one. And he, he tries to give Neo the choice with the blue pill or the red pill, but of course, Neo takes the red pill, the pill he's supposed to take, the pill he is destined to take, to stay in Wonderland, to see how far the rabbit hole goes. And he does, and it, of course, Morpheus is like, you are the chosen one. And then the other character, who they really build up, and then finally Neo gets to see this character, is uh, the, the oracle, who tells Neo, no, you're not the one. You, you, you make your life up. Um, you make your own choices. You, uh, you will be given a choice to sacrifice yourself. And so he does. Neo, in the movie, sacrifices himself for Morpheus. And maybe through that sacrifice, through that choice, becomes the one. Because we find at the end of the movie, sorry, spoiler alert, Neo is the one. He saves the world. Um, but I, I, it's not, I mean, if you haven't, the movie came out in 99. If you haven't seen it yet, you can't blame me for spoiler <laughs> alerts. Um, if, anyways, but enough about movies. Uh, how about let's talk about the Bible for a minute. <laughs> um, in the Bible, there's this lots of stories of free will and predestination in characters. And I think the quintessential one, the, the, probably the biggest example uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament at least, is the story of Joseph. And Joseph has dreams about even the stars bowing down to him and his brothers bowing down to him. His dad gives him a coat of many colors and he's seen as the favorite, seen as the chosen one, seen as the one destined for greatness. And then what happens? Well, his brothers, they throw him in a pit to let him die. And then they decide, no, let's, let's sell him into slavery instead. And just stop just a second. It's like selling your brother into slavery? Like, really? Like, he must have, they must have just hated him. Um, and, and he goes to, uh, into slavery. But then, like, through these interesting either choices uh, that, that Joseph makes or this predestination that he has to, for these dreams to be fulfilled. Um, he ends up going to Potiphar's house and making a name for himself, but then there's Potiphar's wife, and then he gets thrown into prison, and then you think, oh, the story's over. Joseph is a goober. He messed up his destiny. Um, but then he doesn't. And then you re continue reading. It's probably, um, and it's just an opinion, but it's probably one of the most fascinating um, like reads uh, in the Bible. Just like, like a story would read, a narrative would read. So Joseph's in prison and he makes some good choices in talking to the, the cupbearer and the baker and telling a dream that God gave him. So there's sovereignty again and free will in making these good choices. And then he gets out of prison and becomes Pharaoh's uh, right-hand man. And then he is. He, the dreams are fulfilled. The, the, you know, the figurative sun, the moon, the stars, they bow down to Joseph because he's like head of, over Egypt and all this wealth. And he does rule over his brothers because his brothers come to him and ask for food and he gives it to them. And if you know the story, you're like, yeah, that, that's, is that how life works out? Is, is there predestination? And then is there free will and good choices as we go along? And so here we are in, in thinking about like, the, the choices that we make and and those of us that are um, in college and 20-somethings there's there's I think that question is just so blatant, blatantly being asked again and again of you people ask you what are you majoring in what are you going to do what are you going to do with your life and you're just like leave me alone quit begging me I don't know um, but maybe some of you do 
And, and there's this play and, and, and thoughts between, like, are we destined? Or is it just a series of good decisions that we make that might open up other decisions that would be good decisions that we could, you know, say, like, oh, I've arrived somewhere. Because when looking back, like, I made good decisions. Or would you look back and say, God led me to here. And I give him full glory because I was destined. Thank you, Lord. Um, so there's both. There's this free will. Like, God is, might be saying... Make good choices. And, and, and so, a discussion question for you. For me to quit talking to you and for you to start thinking uh, and talking out loud for yourself. And so I want you to kind of take a side here. Uh, a, a Calvinist or Arminianist side. But I won't, if you, if you say like, oh, I'm, I'm more predestination. Well, I won't say like, well, you're a, a raging five-point Calvin. I'm not going to throw that on you. Um, but just answer this question. We'll make it kind of light. Um, is life... Like a box of chocolates? Or is there destiny? Which one do you lean towards? And so we're just talking life right now. I'm not going to, if you say destiny, I'm not going to like say you're, oh, you're a five-point Calvinist. We're just asking generally, which one do you lean to? Do you lean more towards Mama Gump saying life's like a box of chocolates? You never know what you're going to get. You have to make life what it is. Or do you lean more towards destiny and this idea of since God is sovereign, he is leading us all on these paths that, that are just the way they are. So that's your discussion question. I'll, I'll, we'll vote here in a second. So each and every one of you talk about it and maybe as a table decide if life is more like a box of chocolates or destiny. Ready to set go. So I have a mic. Uh, I'll run it around. Who, does anyone want to share... Wait, and uh, <laughs> it's always funny because people point to other people. But but you do you want to share, Justin? All right, I'll run. I'll literally run the mic back. Whatever you want, it's okay. up to you. All right, go. Okay, uh, my view on predestination hasn't really changed over the last couple of years. My my idea is that God has predestined everyone to go to heaven, but we don't always choose that destination. You know, sin opened up a whole another path for us to take if we choose to, or we can choose God's plan for our lives. Um, he made a good a good point. The last five minutes of our lives, we can sit there and think about you know what we've done. You know, if we lived a good Christian life and you know we know we're going to heaven, we can say, "Well, I was predestined to be here because this is where I was. This is where I was destined." To be but by God. You could step out of that. Maybe. Yes. Or if you, your last five minutes of your life, you can say, wow, I screwed up, and this is not where I should have been. You can say, well, I used my free will to go to the wrong direction. All right. I'm, I'm seeing what you're talking about there. That's good. That's good. What up? Anybody else? Way over here? Annie? Now, Annie was our expert Calvinist, so I imagine we're going to hear some destiny in her in her conversation go ahead okay so my thought is that there's a difference between predestination and providence that a calvinist would when arguing predestination would be talking about exactly that someone's destination not so much the process of getting there so it is both like, God gives us choices throughout our lives. But as that passage that Joe read at the beginning of Sunday School was saying, that God works out all things together for good yeah. for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's good. Yeah, how many of you 
would say it's maybe a little of both. You're fence riders in some ways. But the majority of you. So there's, there's some parts of things that are destined. I was talking to Jordan uh, up here, and he's like, well, maybe this idea of you're, you're destined to be in God's kingdom, but what you do um, in God's kingdom would be the, the, the side of the free will. Anybody else? One last comment? Yes. Yes. Bailey, go ahead. Well, I definitely fall on the side that both are true. And I look at the book of Jonah for this. Yeah. Because Jonah was definitely called to preach to Nineveh. And he chose not to follow God. And obviously, you know, he got eaten by a whale. <laughs> um, but then spit but, out. And then he still does what he was supposed to do. That's right. Even though he didn't want to. And then the side of free will is also there because Nineveh repented. Yeah. And God changed his mind and didn't destroy them. Yeah. So both are definitely true. So there's this predestination and free will, the story of Jonah. We talked about the story of Joseph. Um, yeah, that's a great point. So let's continue thinking and uh, through this. Um, we as Christians think the Bible is pretty, pretty important. Raise your hand if you're like, yeah, the Bible's pretty important. And, and so <laughs> since the Bible's really important as our beliefs as Christians... We should turn to it and look at it. And like uh, Bailey said, and um, I talked about the, the idea of Joseph in the Bible and these principles of clearly there's free will in the Bible and, and the responsibility for humans to make good choices. And then also clearly in the Bible is sovereignty and this idea of God's um, just preordaining, predestining, choosing um, people for things and for salvation. And so... What are we to do with verses in the Bible? And if you do a Google search uh, on like verses for Calvinism and Arminianism, or just either, verses for Calvinism, um, you could do it right now if you have like, a phone. And you, your phone will just blow up with millions of, of people's opinions uh, and lists of verses. And there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of verses that Calvinists and Arminianists all throw out in their lists of verses. And some of them um, feel like they just add verses like randomly. Like, what does this have to do with anything? And it takes like three paragraphs of, of like making sense of like why that verse applies. But anyways, um, I was like just doing lots of Googling uh, this week and trying to find like what are like quintessential verses for Calvinism and Arminianism. And at one point, I had like 20 verses for each side, and I thought, that's pretty overwhelming. Uh, and then I l limited it down to 10, and I'm still like, well, that's pretty overwhelming. And then I had five verses, like the top five verses, and so it would be 10, uh, for two, t five for each side. And I thought, even that's overwhelming. So what about just three? If I had to pick three verses um, that are pretty quintessential for either the Calvinist side or the Arminian side, which verses would I pick? Which verses have I heard? quoted again and again by different people as they discuss uh, the, the matter of Calvinism and Arminianism. And I picked these three. Now I'm going to, well, three for each side. So I picked these six verses. And you could say, if you're like a, a Calvinist, you could be like, well, why don't you use this verse and this verse and this verse? Well, sorry, there's, there's, there's hundreds of verses. I picked these three. And if you're a raging Arminianist, you're like, well, why'd you pick those three? Those, they, those three stink. What about this verse and this verse and this verse? But it's just, I had to pick some. I didn't have to, but I wanted to pick some. Um, um, and I wanted to limit it down to something we could actually uh, get a hold of and think about. So I picked these six. So here they are in their orders. You could, I'm going to keep them up the whole time so you could write them down if you wanted to. 
Um, and what you'll find at the first verse, I always think it's quite interesting. Uh, both the Calvinist and the Arminianist both talk about Romans 8.29. And Romans 8.29 is the passage we started off with here in the Mill Sunday School this morning. And it said, for those God foreknew, he predestined. To be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn uh, of many brothers and sisters, and that he, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he also glorified. So, Calvinists would say, look, silly gooses, it says it right there, it says predestined. And so, they would say, look, predestined, for the God predestined those, and then, and then he justified those that he called, those he called, justified, justified, he glorified. So, look, it's right there, silly goose. Um, and then the Arminianists would say, but wait, look right here, you silly goose. It says, those he foreknew. And so it's this emphasis. And so both, I've, I have heard both Calvinists and Arminianists quote this verse as like, this verse shows our side is true, which I always think is kind of funny because it's like, well, it depends on how you read the verse. Are you emphasizing the foreknowledge? The Arminianists would say, well, those God foreknew. And so if God foreknew them, he knew that they would choose him. And so God chose them and called them and justified and glorified them because God knew in his sovereignty, that they would choose him. So it's the, still the free choice there. And then the, the Calvinists, the other side, would say, no, let's emphasize the predestining. Uh, Annie, at our meeting, uh, we had a think tank meeting, she's the raging Calvinist. And so she was like, look at this first. It says foreknew. And she talked about the Greek. And the Greek is this idea of foreknowing. And like, have, he pre-had a relationship with us. And because he chose us since the creation of the world. It was an excellent Calvinist response. But going, boiling it back down, I think both sides could, and I have seen them, quote this verse for their side. Moving right along, let's go to the Ephesians 1.4. That verse says this. It says, for he chose us. In him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless and in sight. And so Calvinist would say, look, silly gooses, it says, he chose us. When? When we chose him? No, before the foundation of the world. Sweet, pretty clear for the Calvinists. If you're wearing the Armenian lens and looking at scripture, you might point to the cream de la cream of Bible verses, John 3.16, which many of you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might have eternal life and <laughs> you know it <laughs> that whoever believes so god um so loved the world the whole world and then whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life you know that verse you love that verse it's a very armenian verse it's like well who did God love? The whole world. Everybody. And whoever believes, maybe not just the chosen ones, but whoever believes um, would be called holy and blameless in his sight and not perish but have eternal life. So that's an Arminian verse. The, a verse that at least maybe it's better to say the Arminians would, would, would just profess this verse. And if you're listening to two Christians argue back and forth, there are Many would probably quote John 3.16 at some point. But then the Calvinists would say, but look, in the same book, the Gospel of John, John 15.16 says this. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fr fruit that would remain. 
So the confidence is like, did you hear that? Did you choose me? No, I chose you. It's Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So there's predestination. There's the choice of God. Um, and then the, the, the last verse, at least of these sixes that I was going to share today, is the Second Timothy 2.11. It's kind of like the, the if-then statements that are um, so often in Scripture. And this is just one of them. Um, <clears throat> there's quite a few. If we endure then we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. So it goes back to this choice and our responsibility as humans to choose what is good. If we endure, if we stay with him, this enduring, then, then we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. Sounds a lot like choice and making decisions, doesn't it? So, People throughout history have been looking at the Bible, um, and this is really an age-old question. We could, we could give some credit to the Reformation and uh, John Calvin and Jacob Arminius, who we will talk about in just a second. But I think it goes back to Paul. It goes back to, you could even say the early church was talking about these things. Uh, Augustine in the 4th century was talking about these things. And then all the way to the 16th century... The 1500s is when the Protestant Reformation happened and the, uh, the people uh, that we you know, would declare as our ancestors in Christian, uh, like they're our Christian grandparents, great, 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 great grandparents, but nonetheless, our great grandparents reformed the Catholic Church and protested the Catholic Church. By the way, that's where those names come from. We are Protestants. Um, well, we protested the, the Catholic Church, and that's, I mean, sometimes I wonder, like, people often ask, why are there so many denominations? Well, our very name, Protestants, means protesting, and so maybe that's, they're just always arguing. Um, not a good thing, but <laughs> kind of funny and a weird, dark humor if you think about it. So, uh, here's a picture of John Calvin, a painting representing him at least, um, those are his dates that he lived, 1509 to 1564. And John Calvin is, of course, the one we get the name Calvinism from. And he's a reformer, uh, a reformer of the Catholic Church uh, right after Martin Luther. Luther, if you know a little bit about church history. And by the way, we're kicking around this idea, figuratively, of course, uh, of in the fall, maybe September, uh, doing a church history um, like lesson that would last a couple months uh, and we'd dive into church history. Would that be cool or not cool? Cool? Okay. Some cool, some like, eh. So we'll see what we do. Anyways, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Chapel, starting the Reformation in this revolution, the enlightenment, you could even say, uh, of this uh, protest of the Catholic Church and this reform against indulgences. That's just a snippet of church history that we could probably spend hours and weeks talking about. And from him, John Calvin is inspired to uh, be the great theologian of the reformers. And he writes this huge, I think it's somewhere around 15,000-page document, this book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And it's basically his systematic theology. And you know a little bit about that if you've been coming to Sunday school, because we did our own systematic theology for nine months. So John Calvin writes this big book, Institutes of the Christian Religion. And again and again and again, throughout his soteriology, throughout his eschatology, throughout his um, theology, throughout his... Uh, prolegomena, his introduction, is this idea of God's sovereignty, God's choice, God's election is this word that in English is often used instead of the word choice, but similar meanings. And he writes about how we are elected as saints. And I have, if any of you are like <clears throat> super nerds, 
uh, and want extra credit, although you, you don't get a grade for Sunday school. I printed off a couple copies, uh, I think maybe 15 copies of the one page, front and back, so two pages kind of, of <clears throat> where John Calvin really talks about election and who is elected and how they are elected. And if you want to read that and be really nerdy, you can come up later and get a copy of that. But it's these ideas that kind of represent the Reformation. And Luther would be a a Reformed theologian as well. And this idea that there's an election, there's sovereignty, there's there's, um, God making his ways known on the earth and this destiny. And then along comes someone who was a student of John Calvin's. And you can see that he lived a little bit later. Here's a picture of Jacob Arminius, 1560-1609. Are you laughing at the way he looks? Don't laugh at the way he looks. (laughs) Anyways, he's got a sweet beard. Look how pointy that beard is. Um, Anyway, uh, Jacob Arminius um, was a student of John Calvin. Went to Geneva and studied Calvinism and the institutes of the Christian religion. And found out, like many of his students, uh, are many, many students often disagree with their teachers. And, and Jacob Arminius would be one of those students who would end up disagreeing on some level with their teacher, John Calvin. And he started talking about, well, what about free will? What about free choice? What about human responsibility when it comes to, specifically, salvation? And Jacob Arminius kind of comes up with these antitheses, antitheses, is that a word? Antitheses, plural? I don't know. Anyways, I'm struggling. Antitheses, antithesi, <laughs> of John Calvin's points, that, that is like, well, let's, let's talk about free will. Let's talk about human responsibility. And so there was quite this debate, as there is still today, as you can imagine. Um, this debate between Calvinism and these teachings, these newer teachings of Jacob Arminius. And is it God's sovereignty or is it free will? And one of the most famous councils, I don't know why they don't just call it the Council of Dort. They always call it the Synod of Dort. Um, and Dort is just a funny name for a city that's in the Netherlands. It's the Americanized, Englishized name for a name that I can't pronounce in uh, whatever language they speak in Netherlands. Dutch? Why do, what is it Holland, Netherlands, or Dutch? It's all the same thing, right? Right? Anyways, looking at me like I'm crazy. I am. Um, so anyways, there's this council, this synod, this, these group of people that gather together. And what I find so fascinating about this is that it was like political. Like it would be like if our senate got together. They were the ones deciding theology for the people. And it had political and uh, it wasn't just religious, but political um, just implications of what they decided. And they decided, uh, so if you ever hear someone say they, they are a believer in the Synod of Dort, um, they would be raging Calvinists. Because this Synod decided, well, we're Calvinists through and through. And we are going to deem the writings of Jacob Arminius to be totally wrong. Like, they're wrong and they're wrong. And you're not allowed to practice Ar- uh, Arminianism. Um, we are Calvinists. And so if you ever hear anyone saying that they're Reformed, like if you know some Baptist friends, and they're, if your Baptist friend says, oh, we're Reformed Baptist, well, that means they're coming from the Reformation. Um, the thoughts of the Reformation leaders, like John Calvin. So a, a Reformed Baptist 
would be a Calvinist. And if you're, if I've heard Baptists call them, oh, we're, we're free will Baptists, or um, they would, of course, be Arminian. So, but the idea is, if you ever hear someone say Reformed, that's probably what they're talking about. They're Calvinist, um, just like Reformed Presbyterians. Maybe some of you um, grew up Reformed Presbyterians or have friends that are Reformed Presbyterians. Well, that's what that means. They're, they're Calvinistic. Um, so anyways, this synod um, kind of defines what they don't believe, a.k.a. Arminianism, and they kind of put it out as we are adopting these five points of Calvinism. You could kind of, in a way, trace back the five points of Calvinism to this synod where they meet and say, here's what we believe, these five points. And of course, we later would would really make them into five points and use the acronym TULIP in English to define those five points. But really, the the history of like true Calvinism, um, as far as we know today can be traced back to here. Because what a lot of people would argue, a lot of theologians, a lot of church historians would say that the Calvinism of today is probably not John Calvin Calvinism. John Calvin wrote his systematic theology and throughout it is, of course, election. You could pick up one of the, uh, right, this particular paper is, is uh, one page on his, how he believes God elects the saints. And he talks about something called double predestination, which we don't have time to get into, today at least. Um, and so, some people could argue that the Calvinism Arminianism debate was really the, what, how we talk about it today in all our formulas and like the five points was really foreign to John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. And I think there's probably some truth to that because it, the, the argument has evolved quite a bit in the hundreds of years since then and, and maybe falls more upon the synod and what they decided than the actual two theologians. But anyways, let's conclude. Let's um, think about this overall big picture. And I wonder sometimes if... Whatever you are, either a Calvinist, an Arminianist, or a fence-sitter, if, if in the end, it all kind of looks the same no matter what. And here's what I mean by that. I was going to a church in my early college years, uh, a Reformed Baptist church, and I loved this church. It was a great church, and so if they're Reformed, then they are Calvinist, and so they're five-point Calvinist. They would talk about it and teach Calvinism and election and double predestination and all these things, and, and it was a great church. And one time, I remember in worship, we were singing this song. And so it was like the late 90s. No, it was probably the early 2000s when I was going to this church. And we were singing the pretty popular song uh, by Delirious called, I Found Jesus. Do you know that song? It's kind of going way back. I found Jesus. And it's... I found Jesus. Um, We were singing this song, and everyone's just singing along, you know. Yeah, found Jesus. And the the lyrics are just like, um, it's so great that today I found Jesus. Yes. And then I thought, wait just a doggone minute. Does this church really believe that? Do I really believe that? Did I find Jesus? Because here I am in a a Calvinist, a Reformed Baptist church, and a good uh, Reformed Baptist church at that. And so I was like, do they, do they believe that? Do they believe that they found Jesus? Because if they really believe in Calvinism, then they would have to be singing, Jesus found me. Which doesn't really, the song, Jesus found me. It doesn't really flow as well, does it? Um, and so I asked, I, I was kind of the, that guy, um, and, and went to my youth pastor and asked him, so... 
we're singing this song, I Found Jesus by Delirious. Great song. But if, if we're really Calvinist, then, then do, do we really believe that I found Jesus? And his response, he, I forget, uh, but he said, we talked for a while, but I remember one specific point that he said. And he said, well, maybe to us, from our human standpoint, it seems as though when, when we come into an understanding of Christ and his death and on the cross, what he did for us, it seems like we found him. But really, the, 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 the church that he uh, was going to, the, the, this very reformed church, would say, but God knew all along, and God had it destined all along. And although it feels like, it seems like you find Jesus, really it is him that always had found you and you were always in his hands and that day when you got saved was just the day you recognized it so maybe an interesting way of looking at this debate um and and this this question now what you know we're here playing with all these different options of free will and predestination we have a couple more weeks this uh this month to talk about uh this, this discussion that we're continuing. Uh, next week, Bobby Mikolas, the week after that, Adam Molesky, wherever he is, he's going to be sharing. I think next week, uh, Bobby's going to kind of tackle this question, the now what? What, what, does, what does this debate, what does this discussion mean for us as Christians? Um, and it's like, let's get into the, the practicalities, the brass tacks of what this means for us, the now what? So, whether you are a Calvinist, an Arminianist, or like many of you are probably on the fence somewhere. Um, thanks for listening to this lecture. Let's, let's pray to God, the one who is sovereign. Let's pray to the one who has given us choices on this, on this world. And so, Father, we thank you that you are a good, all-perfect, all-knowing God. And, Father, we love you. We thank you that it seems like you give us so much freedom and opportunities to serve you. You've given so many of us gifts and just these ways in which we can glorify you and make your name known. And we declare that you are sovereign. You are a good God. And Lord, we thank you for life. And we thank you for even the mystery of of free will and predestination and how we go about our lives uh, with this ability to glorify you, to thank you for what you've done. So we worship you and praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.